Hello? Yeah, it's Monday night and it's a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio. Sooner or later we'll get this intro working properly. Uh, this is the show that mixes comics and politics and is perfect for folks who wonder when Tony Stark's going to hop into the presidential race. We've got enough people in and uh, one giant person, that uh, millionaire that's spending God knows how much money. Why not have to be in there as well? <laughs> um, he'll, he'll make it interesting. Um, Is he like a less useful Lex Luthor? Donald Trump? Yeah. This is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> let me introduce you and then we can hop into that conversation. Because yeah. that's actually awesome. Uh, so joining me is always my uh, much wittier and smarter half. Uh, Alana, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Actually, we've been working on trying to determine um, what uh, Donald Trump's name would be if he was a villain on the old Batman cartoon. Yeah, I see that was the one I I came up with the bankruptcy, um, but you'd spell things with the dollar sign, and I was trying to play it off a of Banksy, but couldn't quite come up with something super witty. There were some good suggestions well, though. I you know I um I Eric Lefeld who writes for the Note has been posting about this on Twitter a bit, and I believe that he finally came up with uh, one was Don La Messian La, La Messian. Oh no no I'm sorry this is the best he said um Il Duché. Instead of Il Duché, yes. And I love that because he really does remind me of Mussolini. Um, I think he has a similar way of posturing and bravado and he's like being a bully. Like he is so Mussolini-ish. I like it. Yeah, it... Um... He's just a bizarre, bizarre guy. I'm going to your question of the, is he really Lex Luthor embodiment? Um, I got to go back and read those comics. I think he actually might be. Like, the fact that you said that, I was like, holy shit, it actually might really be that going on, which is kind of weird and freaky and hilarious. Who would Who would be yeah. his Superman, though? Actually, here's the better. He is he is um just like Lex Luthor, he has issues with undocumented aliens. This is true. It's all very <laughs> confusing. Um yeah, we 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 we've been meaning to talk more about comparing various Republican to supervillains um in the Marvel universe ever since uh, Cruz said he really liked Warshock and and the people at the collective rolled our eyes in, in unison. Um you know, as an example of missing the point, if I've ever heard one. But, um, yeah, you know, we're going to have to eventually do the, do a, a, an episode all about that. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I'm still torn on the whole uh, Cruise and um, Rorschach thing. Because you can go, I would argue either way of the, whether or not Rorschach was the hero or commentary or what. And Oh, he is a commentary. Yeah. He's not the no, hero. Yeah, I know antithesis of, of, of Moore's fault, it's just that, like, I can see why people would feel that way about him beyond them yes. being stupid. 
Like you can exactly. take that away from him if you're dumb. But I'm willing to say, like, yeah, I guess you could take that feeling from me, but if you're not just stupid. You could take the idea that, you know, he is one of the people who's not motivated by his own but he is motivated by his own self aggrandizement because he wants the vision of the world to be the one that's actually implemented in the world. Okay, I'm getting too far afield right now. A whole lot of stuff that has nothing to do with the watchman. It's all good. Well, we can go. Uh, we've, we've, it's a potluck Monday. Uh, we have uh, nothing like huge kind of like absolutely set that we have to talk to you. So it's going to be all over the place, just like this beginning. Uh, so we can continue on this or we can go with diving into comics and then come back to this if we want. No, I want to think more about Alan Moore and Republicans before I make further public statements. <laughs> all right. Um, so we've had a string of awesome guests that have been joining us for the last uh, almost like a month again. And uh, we have not had a chance to talk g- latest releases. And there's been some really cool ones this summer um, that have been coming out. So um, we were thinking of talking about some of these latest series and um, discussing probably what you should be checking out if you haven't already. Um, which one would you want to start first? We've got... Uh, phonogram, we've got Fight Club, um, Fade Out. The Fade uh, Out. I want, let's okay. call it phonogram, as I want to get, um, I want to, maybe you talk about that when my essay is out. I'm working on a big piece about it, guys. So stay tuned. And it looks like reporter Sarah Jaffe will be joining us for that conversation as well. Yay. Woo. Um, yeah. You want to talk about John Con? Let's talk about John Con. John Con or Gen Con? John, oh, I don't know about Gen Con. That was months ago. Uh, John Constantine. Oh, uh, well, uh, that's what you meant by John Con. I just thought you kept on mistyping mis- John Con. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, we can, we'll start with Constantine. Um, yeah. So I think it was, what, how many issues, uh, weeks ago? It was two weeks ago? Last week? Two weeks. Two weeks, I think. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Uh, so that was the uh, latest issue of DC Comics' Constantine Hellblazer. Um, that came out that is kind of the reworked um, John Constantine series. It restarted at one. It kind of went back to his roots, and issue three literally does that, um, which had him going back to England to, um, let's say, figure some stuff out, and then he winds up battling some uh, some baddies. Uh, this has been a series that you and I have both really, really enjoyed. Um, generally, what I wrote a review. Um, I probably, I definitely didn't do it justice because um, I knew that we were probably going to talk about it sooner or later and be a much more intelligent conversation with you. <laughs> so what do you think of the third third issue? It's one of those where I do reviews and I'm like, oh, I could spend an hour talking about this and it's going to be way better than my, you know, couple hundred words typed up. Um, yeah. So what did you? Yeah. What did you think of the the issue? I love it. I, I feel like each issue is getting better than the last. Um, it started strong, but I just think it's one of those titles that I just see how much better each piece is as it goes. Um, you know, the first issue taking place, uh, the the the, the fold up section where it has each level of the um, the Hell House, you know, there was a, and there still are, I guess, in the Bible Belt, houses that were horror houses with different levels that you'd go to to scare you about hell, and like each deadly sin had its own level, and, you know, and sadly, I'm sure the last one was nowhere near as interesting as it needed to be, but, um, 
but the comic has a riff on that, but it also references immersive theater things like Sleep No More, um, which we have in New York, which people should go to when they visit here. Awesome. Um, you know, that those that bit in the first uh, was really the highlight of the first issue for me. And then in the second issue, you know, John wandering through New York, following the ley lines of mysticism through the city was such a great image. Um, there was something that I wish I had noticed on my own, but sadly did not. Um, Richard Jones, well, I mean, I realized that, but what I'm about to say, I didn't realize until I read it in Richard Jones' column um, in the Rainbow Hub, uh, where he made a connection between what John was doing there with the situationist geo- geographical technique um, that's where one goes on a walk and a psychogeography based on where your feet may take you um, and using that as a way of developing associations, connecting places to one another. Um, and, like, it's a combination of, uh, you know, an experience that you would do to yourself to uh, have to consider your place in a physical space in a different way, um, but also a, a way to... I guess, you know, connect with part of your brain you might not be as tapped into, you know, it's not, and and I think this sort of follows in that line of thinking, and it doesn't surprise me to have John Constantine sort of playing that role in the story. Um, I I love the issue, too, where he ends up in all, it's the Whole Foods, the Whole Foods down on Houston Street, mm-hmm. the Whole Foods down on Street, and talking about what really happened in there, um, you know, as people who live in the city, like, I, I think probably not just, not just in your I think anybody who lives in any community that's doing well economically finds themselves in these moments where you're in this, this commercial space and you're like, Jesus, I know what used to be here. And this couldn't be any more different from what it was. Um, and imagining, like, what had been in that space in earlier times, earlier parts of time. And seeing how it shows through even where you are now. Um, it's sort of just like a reminder, you know, there's like a John Bavardo store where Stephen Chiefs used to be in New York, for example, things like that. Um, so that was a really wonderful issue as well. And then the third issue, I, I'm such a sucker for Ming Doyle's art. Um, I, I love what she draws. And she did the flashback scene in the story that takes place when John was younger. So it's entirely clear to me how young he's supposed to be here, but a lot younger. And um, he is going to speak with Gaz, who's also much younger. And Gaz has an amazing Huge's chat, which I just needed to salute on the internet. Um, I, I thank Ming I thank, uh, for her accurate depiction of it. I'm, I'm sad that we may, I feel we may not see his life again for it. True exact approximation of Fuji's shag was just really masterful. Um, I hadn't even thought about the fact that you know the comic is actually not taking place during that time period. That flashback scene is actually taking place. Um, I mean, we know this from our own podcast that this is taking place. You know, not like in around the year 2000, I guess. Um, there's sort of changes what you're seeing a bit. Um, but, uh, but the flashbacks are wonderful. I love having her art. I would love to have her be regular 
you know, I know she's in time, but if she could just do regular flashbacks, even some way to continue to utilize her art in the book, I just would love it. I love how she draws people. I love how she gets clothes. Um, and I, I, I was just a great thing to have the opportunity to see her contribute to the story in that way. So what, um, you know, uh, Constantine a, a little, well, much better than I. Um, uh, the characters that they, in, <laughs> well, hopefully you'll know this one, or maybe you, you won't. Um, the the characters were introduced in the third issue. Um, have they appeared before? Are these like known characters in the Constantine oh, world? Gaz is known before. I did not know the others. I don't think we know the others. I'm pretty sure that Georgiana Snow is new. Um, so, so I don't know about the redhead, and I don't know. Uh, one thing I'm looking calendar-wise, though, in terms of, because this is very important to talk about Gaz's hair, about Gaz's hair, is that if this is taking place around the year 2000, then that was right when the garage rock revival explosion had really built up to becoming like merging on mainstream, which would make Gaz's hair make sense that year as well. So Interesting. <laughs> um, but as uh, but as um, as Mr. Jones though points out in his piece, like there's a big difference in it. I will certainly be talking about it in my photograph with you when I finish, when I finish writing my big essay about it. Um, the, there's a big difference between the revivalists and the, in, the, in the crew that does it the first time. So it's hard to say, like, does, does Constantine, like, if people are in a revivalist scene, that just changes what Constantine is saying about popular culture in the book and the immediacy of what it's yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. That did cross my mind a little bit when I was reading it, that you're, you know, shifting him from the 70s and 80s when I would say kind of like punk rock was going really, like really strong to, you know, late 90s, early 2000s changes like a lot about the character like just that shift and him kind of being like a you know punk rock um in a punk rock band changes like a lot of what he was saying and kind of his relation to music absolutely you know i um i don't know how you deal with that i think you might just want to gloss it over and one of the things I thought this comic did really well was gloss it over. Mm -hmm. and I, I'm all about like holding time, contracting time. Like, I, I, this comic makes more sense if it isn't actually happening in 2000. And even though I can pop culturally and what everybody's wearing, and, I mean, really, what everybody's wearing totally does make sense in 2000 in that comic. Um, but that I don't even need to have to do that if we can just not care. And if we want to continue situating um, John Louis Roy situated him and still have him only be 35, 
But then the interesting thing, again, is I could say the word only 35, right? Like, that's all relative. I'm 35. <laughs> Why? Um, I'm older yeah, than him. <laughs> I, yeah, it's really traumatic to me, and I have a hard time with that. Um, I like I my really 30s. Counting. I stopped counting. I, said, I was fine with 32, but I can't be older than 32, but my brain can't handle that. So I'm just I mean, it's not like saying I'm 21. 32 is like, you know, not like a baby. But that's just the age that I'm most comfortable with. I'm going to call it Christmas. Um, but anyway, but so the thing is, like, in the story, even, they talk about, you know, Georgiana Snow, you know, the little fan, talks about it still being in the story, but he is clearly so much more moral, really cautious around than he was in the past. And he is so clearly a baby past, you know what I mean? Um, a kind of like want to go get my hug in the past. So um, I do think that, like, in terms of maturity and aging and changes in the character, like, you absolutely see that difference there. Um, and uh, I, I prefer to just not think too hard about the timeline on this, you know, and like when this would have that happen. But then you could do you could do a comment that, you know, actually transposed the character into a more contemporary timeline that was, and had the musical association be contemporary, which is going to be speech for which the hub said, like, uh, it would have to be really based. And yeah, that actually would make sense, you know, at that point. But none of us, but I'm saying, I'm a pretty good American. We don't, we're not young and based people, you know. We're, we're, even, the young, even the young ones of us, like, all the music I listen to is from. Before I was old enough to really give a fuck more or less. You know, so even the young folks, they're, they're all nostalgic. We're all nostalgic people. Like, we, we're all looking for people. And we're not dancing to people, right? So nobody wants to read the drum and bass version of Ben Hopkins. It's one of the things I should have explicitly divided into the interesting is that it's so not trapped by all of our comics yesterday, they like that by being grounded in the But I do see there are a lot of people in the comic world, you know, in the same that are like much more closely aligned with pop music than I am or that people who are trying to go for it. But yeah, nobody wants to read the drum and bass version of the pop So I'm, I'm fine with sort of the comic eliding about when it happens and it's not really anything that matters so much. Um, Especially because it means that they have from Nate Doyle. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So everybody looks so weird that we're here. <laughs> um, oh, one other thing that I, one thing I pointed out that nobody else is talking about means that I might be crazy or I might be brilliant. You know, DC Comics owns Wildstorm. Mm-hmm. Snow's last name is Snow. Who do we know whose last name is Snow and likes to wear white and is tied around magic and special phenomena and things like that? Answer, Elijah Snow from the planetary. Um, Elijah Snow would so totally have a random daughter in England who would totally be like Georgiana Snow. He is an aloof bastard. He is an aloof bastard. Um, you know, I I could just completely see 
him being her being his like daughter or niece or something like that. But I feel like she goes around wearing white. She totally says the kinds of things Elijah Snow would say. And I, I think that the, you know, the, the creative team on the series, they're the kind of people who would know who reads Planetary. Like, I'm, I mean, Ming Doyle is an artist. I'm sure she's read Planetary for no other reason than because Planetary's art was insanely good. I can completely see her being connected to him in some way. I'm about to tweet up your theory. I don't know the character well enough um, to say one way or another. Um, but doing a little digging, it seems like Georgiana Snow is a new character. Uh-huh. So, um, possibility, or maybe it's a, um, maybe it's a little bit of a gender bending. Because I don't, I don't think they're doing. Are they doing? I don't know if they're doing anything with Elijah Snow, so I, no, I, I really don't know. Dead. Planetary is a closed, you know, but the thing is, the planetary existed in the Wildstorm universe. It wasn't like a series that mm-hmm. didn't anything else. They had crossovers with the Authority. The Authority came out of Stormwatch. It was tied. The Authority had crossovers with, like, Wildcats. So, like, yeah, it was, even though the planetary stood on its own, it was actually part of the of, of the Wildstorm universe. And even if they're not going to be using that universe for much, there is no publisher's reason, like publisher type reason why she couldn't be Elijah Snow's daughter, who would so totally act like that, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm saying it's like maybe, like, I don't think they're in the current DC universe, they're using Elijah Snow. No, I so don't think ma- they would. Like they have the right, so maybe she, yeah. yeah. So maybe she's just outright like replacing him in a way that they she's but kind of a derivative. Just, no, I think it's just like a little aside thing. I think that he exists somewhere in their world. He's just not going to be in anything, but he exists, and that she's related to him. That's what I think. I don't think she's like right. um, an alternate version of him or anything like that. I don't see why he wouldn't just be there. He just isn't you know involved in whatever's happening. It's it's a good theory. I like it didn't even cross my mind, so um, I I cannot refute it or agree with it. But I tweeted it up, and we'll see if other folks what they think. Um, I I think it would be really cool, and that's um, I think that's a part of the new DC universe they're not doing enough of. So that would be an interesting no, way. Really yeah, that'd be an interesting way to tie it in with without really diving in hardcore. Exactly, exactly. Having her be related to him, but not like being the new him or whatever, it solves all of those questions. Although I have a question. Is Midnighter the only Wildstorm character who's like exists right now in DC? There's not like a Glitzer book anymore, right? Right, there wasn't. So when the New 52 launched, there was Voodoo and Grifter. So they existed and they still exist. Um, You just don't see them anywhere. Um... There was the the Daemonites who Grifter was fighting came over. Um, Hell Spont fought Superman at one point. Um, I want to say that's about it, which is a shame. Like, so you know, say what you will about Wild, you know, other than Planetary and Authority, which you know people love, um, you know, as a whole 
wildcats and all that, I think are generally kind of looked down upon a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, the one I actually really liked and I would have loved for DC to revisit it and would be actually kind of could be potentially cool as a Vertigo series, but they don't really need to do that anymore since they are willing to do a little bit more hardcore books in the main uh, line is there was a volume of, uh, I think it was three volumes at the end of Wildcats that looked at it as um, Spartan wound up taking over a corporation. And he basically had Grifter and a couple other of the old Wildcats kind of like doing corporate espionage and taking care of stuff for him. Um, and he was being investigated by like the the Senate because he was just like, because you know he's an alien. So he's like, I'm going to use all my alien technology and create this alternate energy that's going to completely crash the oil markets. So, of course, the oil like industry... Like What's that? Said like you do. Yeah, so the... Like so the, like the, yeah. yeah, so the oil industry was putting pressure on the Senate to investigate him. Um, and it was just... It was really, really cool. Like, I loved it. It was this great mix of, like, realpolitik and superheroes where you're like, oh, no, this is actually kind of how it would actually, you know, might exist and how things would go down. Um, I would love to see that come back and come back in the exact same way as they they had it. Um, they can like redo it, but I just love that concept. I thought it was such a cool concept. Um, of course, because like the most a- Brett comic book series of all, obviously. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would totally yep. do that too. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, it was like, and it was called why it was like Wildcats 3.0 or something like that. So I. I forgot why I got a copy of it, but I got it like sent to me and I read it and was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Um, and immediately got the rest of the, the volumes as they came out. But it was one of those like, because I remember reading Wildcats when it first came out at Image and like I rolled my eyes. I'm just like, you know, the art's really cool. The story makes no sense, which was like a lot of the Image books at the time. Um, but yeah, they, they don't, they haven't really done a hell of a lot. Well, so actually, other wild stories. So you got, um, you know, uh, Midnighter came out of wild at Wildstorm. Mhm. That's what I'm saying. I think he's the only yeah. one that they have now. Yeah. Um, and then Apollo's in there in flashbacks. Like not really. That's what I'm right. Yeah. The Wildstorm world. Yeah. Bought all that IP, and they are not using it. That's okay. Anyway. But yeah, I, I, regardless of who she really is, um, I, I really have been loving the series. Uh, I, it's really, it's a kind of book which is like, it's not funny, but when it chooses to be funny, it's a joke's land and the jokes are funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very inventive. The character design is quite remarkable. Um, the creepy shit is pretty creepy. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to expect next. I'm absolutely like unsure where the story is going to be going. Um, you know, when he headed to England, I thought it was going to be about him with his childhood in some way, actually. And that looks like it's not even really what's happening now. And I, I think it could go in any number of ways. I, I don't know if, how long they want to keep the story in England, if they want to bring it back. Um, it really could go in any number of different directions, but it's just a really great quality book. I, I highly endorse people picking it up. And um, I think that there's a lot of really intellectual stuff that's worked in there that you can engage with if you're looking to have that kind of experience in the series, which I guess most people who are reading John Constantine comics probably probably are looking for. So. The other thing I liked it was 
um, the, the you know the, the current story arc, which basically has something killing actual ghosts, um, and uh, he's trying to figure that out. I, I mean, he kept on kind of referencing how he got his friend killed, and you know he and that like you think of like kind of like that was his major um, issues, and this is kind of why he's morose and and um, a little bit like the way he is. And then they took it to England and they opened up like this whole world by doing this like current story and flashback. And that flashback added so much depth to the character as to like why he is the way he is. Um, The, the stuff like things that they were hinting at were like what he did was way more fucked up and worse than I thought he was. He did. Um, and it's uh, it's really, really good. Like, at, at well, actually, such a simple thing. How would you define? How would you define? What was it that? That what? What? How would you define it though? What was it that he did? What exactly was it that? He did? So, for what I'm seeing it as was the the flashbacks in issue three was him getting this group together and they started dabbling in mystics, mystic stuff. Um, where Georgiana thought she was better than John. John was an arrogant um, and cocky like he always is. He fell in love with this girl, and I think he somehow got her killed. Mm-hmm. Eventually. After yeah, he yeah, eventually. Like, clearly, eventually, either he specifically led to it, or he led her down the road that got her killed. It's one or the... It's something of that. And it's could be why he fled England to the United States, because I could see him doing something going horribly wrong. He winds up getting her killed, and he just heads the hell out, because he clearly hasn't like dealt with it. But then again, he thought she was alive. Yeah, Didn't exactly. he at the beginning? Yeah, so like, clearly something happened that like led her down the road. She's dead, and he hasn't really dealt with any of that. Um, so there was some falling out between him and Georgiana and, and all of them that, that got him running. So I I think that they'd already been dabbling with magic or else they wouldn't have been able to be there and aware and participate in that yeah. level concert in that way. So I, I'm not entirely clear from what they're saying. What is it that John did if he just got in over his head and dragged everybody in with him or if there might be something more concrete and specific that we just don't know what it is yet specific or concrete so, about about it that could that could yeah. be later when he meets Georgiana like she makes a comment about like being better than him at magic and he made a comment about like they kept on kind of going back and forth a little bit about it so I'm assuming they were all into it at that point and then kind of teamed up and went hardcore. And um, what's the horrible movie, uh, the uh, witches or whatever it is where they like, you had the group of girls and then there was the other girl who also practiced and then they got all together and everything went off the rails. Oh, the craft. The craft that's seen, it. But it is a massive cultural touchstone amongst my people. Apparently. <laughs> No, your fashion is wrong, and your musical soundtrack is actually way too mainstream. Because I have spent most of my life being ridiculously pretentious. But um, but yeah, you're thinking of the craft. Yeah, so uh, I figured it was something like the craft, where 
they dabbled, he dabbled, they all dabbled together and screwed things up because of that. So that's totally probably the case, but I feel like there's something specific and we're not, we don't know what it is yet and that we're going to find out, I think. Oh, yeah. Yes. But the other thing is like, I I just loved like the energy that of John starting that fight in the beginning to get to, to get those tickets. Like I wasn't even exactly sure. I'm still not exactly mm-hmm. sure like what was the scam he was running that got him punched. Like so that enabled him to pocket the tickets. It was such like a great in media race, like beginning of the issue. It has this sort of propulsive energy to it you know, from the from him getting smacked in the face. Especially because this is a face that we've been, you know, told so many people feel compelled to smack. It has like this um I don't know, narrative justice to it, even though we love him. I mean and that's the thing, like you love John Constantine, but you also know that he's a fuck up and he's a con mm-hmm. man and he's asking for it and you love him anyway. So I, I don't know. I thought that was a great a great introduction for this issue. Um, I thought it was huge I'm in sure that it... Tra- I'm sure it's a trick that they'll come back on too, though, right? Yeah. See, I thought it was huge in that, it, one, it showed that he really has such little regard for his own safety and, um, and you know, has no mm-hmm. issues with bodily harm. Like to me, one that just it lays it out that that this isn't like a new thing that he's always been right. like that. And That's a great point. Uh, yeah, so like that was huge. I mean, it takes a lot for a con man to be willing to you know get hit by the car to make the con, and that's what he's willing to do. Um, so to me, and that was for, was and that was just for tickets, right? Like oh yeah, you know? for something so stupid. Um. And then the other thing that I thought was great is when he meets, and I can't think of her name, um, not Georgiana, but the other girl. Mm-hmm. Um, when he meets her, like he's clearly smitten. Um, and you rarely, like, up to this point, you've seen him use sex as just a thing. So either just a thing where he uses to get what he wants or to blow off steam, but there's no connections to it. It's just cold, it's heartless. Um, it is an act here. Uh, like you, I, didn't get, hmm. I saw, I see, I thought he from with her, I felt he was completely smitten with her. Oh, absolutely. But I also yeah. don't feel like his, his, his um, intentions with the restaurant tour are. Yep. That would be the back. exception. I think he, that's a perfect example of somebody of him being like, "Oh, I like this guy, and I'm sure that because it's me, it will be nothing but trouble." But I would be like, it's a sort of like the idealized. I could be a good person and and settle down and like date this like normal guy, right? Right? I, mean, I really well, can't sex. I'm terrible. Oh yeah, okay. But that's sort of what well, issue with that. So I don't think that it's not. I don't think it's not John doesn't let himself have those feelings. I think that John undermines himself when he tries to have them. Possibly, like the way with the the cook, the thing that I got off of it was his first couple comments were about the guy's looks, um, which to me said it was more of just like a physical thing, and he he sees this good looking guy that he wants to sleep with, um, and then you know he goes and sleeps with the demon. What a couple pages later? Um, yeah, but he so, only had the guy's picture of him with his family. So like first 
he's like, oh, this guy's hot, which is a completely reasonable first response to have upon meeting somebody. But as soon as yep. he begins engaging with him, he begins engaging with him as an actual human being, and he's looking at the family picture and being like, oh, what a sweet family. Like, oh, you're like a really cute civilian. I'm so sorry that I had to show up in your life right now because I'm a terrible person. Um, I mean, so I don't think he's, I, I think it's a, an immediate physical attraction, which is no different than the immediate physical attraction he has with the woman in the flashback, actually. But I think by the time he's talking about restaurateur guy, he recognizes that he's a dangerous influence that needs to keep himself in check. Whereas when he meets this woman when he's younger, he's just like all in. He doesn't have that self-awareness yet or hasn't self-mythologized his bad boyness to the point where he thinks he needs to be stopped. Yeah, with the cook, I, I, I get the sense that there is like a... He's slightly distanced because he knows he's the fuck up. So mm-hmm. with him, sure. I think he's trying to figure it out. It's very similar to I think what Midnighter's trying to do, um, in a slightly different way. But that just like I'm trying to figure this out, um, and go from there. Um, where Midnighter, Midnighter, I think is trying to figure out who he is as a person as opposed to a superhero. Where I think Constantine is trying to figure out can he be normal and not a fuck up, um, or is yeah, he always? Does he always bring, like, death and destruction? Right. See, I think when he's looking wistfully at the guy from across the subway platform, that's him saying, like, yeah, that's something I don't get to have. I don't get to have that normal personal relationship. You know, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't allow myself to be amongst, like, a normal, real guy, like, you know, guy whose name escapes me, I want to say Oliver. Yeah, um, I can't think of what it is. I deal with is a shit show. So I think that he... He sees that, and he's like, oh, that would be nice, but in reality, that's just a dream. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the... Across the the platform, the subway platform. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, but I think that also is like that slight distance with him, where he's not quite, like, he might want a normal, but he knows he screwed up. He makes things physical and slightly distant. where like it's the opposite of midnight midnighter like wants a relationship and he's actually going over the top and trying to do a relationship and have a normal life um mixing in his little weird world whereas constantine is like i kind of want this no i can't because i wound up doing death and destruction getting everyone i know killed um staying my distance like they kind of went to the same point and came to complete opposite reactions yeah, yeah. As a side note, although something people probably picked up on from a joke that I made the other episode when we had Steve Orlando on, I am, like, so not into Midnighter's banker boyfriend. Like, why is Midnighter <laughs> dating banker boyfriend? Like, I'm, I, I, I just don't get it. He's a banker. So, like, what, what's that about? The thing I could say about him dating a banker is it's such a straight line to date. By someone so not right laced. Uh, sorry, what? You were breaking up. Sorry, that dating a banker and dating someone who's straight laced, not laced. Um, yeah, no, but like you can like somebody a, who's straight laced who isn't like part of like global capital, which is like one of the things that he's going after in the series, and it doesn't really quite seem self-aware of like that contradiction. If it was self-aware, like, Maybe. oh, like, there's this conflict. But, I mean, this guy, I don't know. It just, I don't like this guy. 
using him to get his means and ends. I don't, I don't like Midnight's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, oh, yes. Okay, so we actually have an answer now via Ming Doyle, who I pinged, actually. She says, if yes, they're only very far removed cousins who are unaware of the connection, exclamation point, which, of course, I can totally accept as being the case. So. Interesting. I think she just threw that together based on what I said, probably. But I'm glad that it has contributed to canon in such a way. <laughs> what we'll do is, since we made this happen, we need to make our, um, our Teen Titans romance series happen. That's our next goal. Yes, yes. I- I'm not sure what sort of strange black magic and dark arts are required to manifest that in the real world. I can only presume that it'll involve sonomancy perhaps the listening of uh, girl group songs um, or I guess it's it's Teen Titans. I probably need to do some sort of 80s music then. 80s pop music to bring it into existence. Um, But yeah, that'll be our next step. Our next step. Teen Titans romance series. Oh, um, do you have anything else you want to talk about regards Constantine? I I think that's Okay, let's talk about the fade-out. We totally had a great moment where I could have segued earlier, but would have cut things off too quickly. Um, do you want to give a summary of the fade-out? How do you even describe it? So, uh, the fade-out is a noir series that takes heyday Hollywood and involves a disgraced writer. He's not a disgraced writer. The writer uh, no. is a disgraced, disgraced friend. Um dealing with the ins and outs of the uh, uh, Hollywood, the, I mean, studio system. on the proper the term, studio system. Studio system. The Holly, that's it. The Holly, Hollywood studio system, yeah, of post-war America. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, the, the writer is, is a standard film noir protagonist who is, you know, the troubled guy who's down on his luck and is getting sucked, gets sucked up into a mystery or conspiracy that's bigger than what he's able to manage on his own. Um, there's, you know, the friends who he's, he, he's, he has writer's block. He can't write anymore. So he's actually just getting his, his friend, Gil, who was a blacklisted screenwriter, who was blacklisted for his politics, who the protagonist himself had given the name to the HUAC um, House American Affairs Committee, like his key, our protagonist of the story had ratted out his friend and now employs his friend secretly off the books to write his screenplays because he's lost his mojo. Um, so it's a very interesting and specific front sort of relationship in there. Um, the R- and there's an actress that gets killed and there's clearly see about that's back in the day in the and was very active over there. There's literally signed their life to the studios and were just doing films at the studio. Uh, so this was the type of thing where uh, those were purposeless actors, male actors with women. So to make them straight, covering up kinds of horrible shit that was. So there's this is kind of based of some things were actually at the time. 
Yeah. There's, it's interesting how the social, how the series is situated in history. Um, there's a character, Earl Rathborn, who I had presumed was their stand-in for Clark Gable, because he operates like Clark Gable and even looks like him. And then I think it's in about mm-hmm. issue four or five, we meet real Clark Gable. So the story has fake Clark Gable and real Clark Gable. The story also has Dashiell Hammett. I mean, there's a number of real figures who are in it. Um, worked into it as well. Uh, the studio, Victory Pictures, it's, it's all completely plausible. It's just not in a one that actually existed. You know, uh, the woman who was murdered, the starlet who was murdered is someone who he liked and respected and had a connection with. Um, and she's, you know, had been in essentially Little Rascals video reels. So she's a really a product of Hollywood from her whole life. And as the story progresses, you begin to really see how how their participation in Hollywood has controlled their lives in like various fucked up ways. Um, you know, uh, this, one of my favorite characters in the series, I wouldn't be surprised if she's not a favorite character amongst most comics readers, is Dottie. She's the um, mm-hmm. studio's PR girl, as the term was, PR woman more accurately, since she is a grown-up. Um, Dottie is smart and pragmatic and funny and cute, and she's the one who wears the glasses, right? As was our protagonist, actually, but she's the female who wears the glasses. The glasses are very significant in this time period. This is before people recognize that wearing glasses makes you cool. It was back in the day in which it was looked at as being nerdy and therefore made you less cool. But um, she's great. And Bobby clearly has a crush on the protagonist, and he likes her, but he can't like quite figure his shit out. And then he starts to have a relationship with the new star, um, who is also like, the, the book does a great job of making everybody in the story really human, except for the people who we haven't had much of a connection with at all yet. Like, you get the feeling this is going to be a story where the villains, once we really get to know them, are also going to be really too. Yeah. The other is everyone's really unique. Um, it's not, like, looks wise, backstory, um, everyone has that little thing that stand out. It's pretty. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something I've liked a lot. Um, the yeah, this is, I. Uh, this is definitely one of those comics where the art is such that every character has their own face. They have their own characterization. It is not relying on hair color to tell people apart. In fact, shoot, you know the 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 starlet who was murdered and the starlet who's taking her place almost the same shade of blonde hair, not quite, and have a very similar hairstyle. So the fact that you can tell them apart, and you can, is entirely reliant on the artist drawing them, having different shaped faces and different noses, and succeedingly in doing so. Um, So hey, other artists, you too can have characters with different faces and different noses. Um, I actually feel like it's significant that the face of the initial actress, the one who was murdered, she's... She has like a rounder look on her. She's a rounder nose, and more of like a real face. Whereas it feels like Maya Silver, the woman they bring in, is more of like a perfect, pointy, polished face. And um, it seemed at first like the story was going to be going from this actress who's like a real, you know, more of a real person, 
to replacing her with a woman who's like more of a doll. But you get inside the new, the new actress, Maya's head, and she's also an interesting person, too, legitimately in her, in her own right. Um, but I did sort of see that distinction in how they were being drawn. Um, you know, Val- Valerie is being more round, uh, round eyes, round nose, round chin, and Maya being more pointy, like cat eyes, pointy nose, pointy chin. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I thought it was kind of almost um, proto um, Marilyn Monroe in their looks. They remind me a lot of that. Proto what? I'm sorry. Monroe is a seamless version of oh, Monroe Mar- to me. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. I yeah. mean, she was active during that time frame as well. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, You know, that, that's just a standard studio narrative. Like, you know, I love yep. the movie issue when she's, you see them talking about making up the backstory for the characters, clearly Montgomery Cliff and Sandin. Like, just making it from parts of their backstory, making up different origins for them, um, things like that. Uh, it, 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 it really sort of shows the construction of the characters, of the actors, of the of the actors' public persona, I should say. I mean, the overall, I mean, the series is, is great. It's one that definitely get the image or the, the talk that it deserves. Um, it's a slow, needful, slow, noir, like that type of story to, to really be, uh, been in, uh, enjoy it. Like, it's, uh, it reminds me a lot of, and I think you read a little bit of it, of Fatal that they did. I haven't read Fatal. I would like to, I mean, I, uh, but I have okay. not. So it re- reminds me of a lot of Fatal, except uh, take out the Lovecraftian stuff. Like, very similar mm-hmm. style, look, all that stuff. Um, and it's not a bad thing. It's just mm-hmm. very similar in the two of them. Um, Fade Out's and interesting. No I mean, I've... I, all in the story, guys. Heads up. There is no local. No, no. Okay. I've I've read a lot. I've like my I spent like an entire semester's worth practically in as an undergraduate just doing work around film noir and it's something I've spent a lot of time studying. And I've read, you know, Dashiell Hammett and I've read a lot of the other writers that they're sort of referencing and playing off of in the series. So I've had a lot of exposure to the genre. I haven't read a lot of film noir situated comics, to be honest, but in terms of books and movies, like that's really, you know, shit that I come from. Um, and this story manages to be new and surprising and yet completely in line with the world that they've built. Like it is a period piece. It is absolutely, you know, a history piece. It is absolutely, you know, like, you could have written this story then, absolutely. But it's still new, and it's not a ripoff of anything. It's still a completely new story. That's impressive when you're dealing with a genre that has so many tropes that get borrowed by other genres and that has had so many stories told in it for, like, decades and decades and decades and decades that this is a story where I don't know what's going to happen to Yes. Like, I've got my theories. 
like, yeah, like I know my genre rules even, but I'm not exactly sure what actually happens or what's going to happen. So, uh, think is the killer? I'm sorry? Who do you think is Who do you think is the killer? Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, yeah. I want it to be the studio head because I would like to blame the capitalists. However, right now in the story, our protagonist thinks it's Earl. But I don't want it to be Earl, and I don't think it's Earl. I think it's the studio head who had been raping her since she was a child. Now, in the real world, that is who it would be, because that's how shit happens. Mm -hmm. Or it could potentially have been her ex-husband. It would have been, like, in the real world, one of these two people would be the person who actually killed her. Both people who had been sexually abusive of her in her life. Um, but in the comic, uh, it's probably not going to be either of them, and I don't really think it's going to be Earl in the end of the day. So who do you think it is? Who is the killer? Do you think it's Charlie, the protagonist? Dottie. And the blackout? Do you think Dottie killed her? I think... Oh, I hope not. Sorry, tell me more. So, Dottie, to me, to be, well, but she does her job, um, and she's very much about her bosses, though, that has kind of, like, not been quite um, as solid in, like, the last two issues, I think. Uh, but I wound up um, knocking her off because was going to go public or something was going to happen and basically Dottie did it uh, to like protect the studio possibly you think and Dottie out of like a fit of rage with, with uh, over um, uh, Charlie I just don't want that I really like I, I, the theory you provide is like I mean it could it's possible, you know, that's not, that's not completely crazy, but I really don't want it to be her, and I'm not quite sure I buy that. She doesn't... I don't want it to be her. Yeah, I know. But... I just... I think that, um... You're saying that it partially has to do with her trying to, like, get the movie taken care of? Yeah, because that's a, so the thing that they've been setting up with um, Brodsky is these folks who are doing horrible things to protect the studio. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think Dottie might have done whatever she did to protect the studio. Like they seem to be going out of their way to, to making that apparent in like a common thing, which makes me think that it's a very important important aspect of the series as a whole. But, but that's also something that his goons could be doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only thing that doesn't quite make sense because, you know, bumping an actress off is something Brodsky and his folks would do and probably wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
you think there's any chance it's a roll? I have no idea. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I could be wrong, though. Um, you know, I, I like the touches with, like, when when it shows you the hazy memories that Charlie has, but he can't quite focus on, I think those are really well drawn. Um, you know, he wakes up with a memory loss, which, oh, he's such a classic, 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 um, you know, film noir protagonist. It's unclear exactly what happened to him. The world of the movie is unclear as well. Um, I think the art has been handled really, really well when they deal with that, when they show you the, the, the haze and big flashback to things that are a little bit less than clear. What do you think about the movie yeah. having both real actors and fake actors? Like, were you thrown off when you saw, like, oh, that's Clark Gable? I thought that Earl was supposed to be Clark Gable? Because that did kind of throw me off. Yes, um, that definitely threw me off um, because I I thought it was a it's really close to be um, uh, really close to being reality, but not actually being reality. And then they throw in real actors every so often, which which absolutely kind of like it makes it a little little weird. Um, she kind of just either stuck to one or the other, but it's not that big a deal. Um, the, the thing I was gonna say about the, the flashback or the blackouts that I really like, it also forces mm -hmm. us to question what we know, which I think is really, really cool. Um, that, you know, we kind of go through the stories and then as Charlie like has to deal with his blackouts, um, he, and he kind of does the, like, did it really happen or what, what did I miss? Like, we, too, as readers, are forced to sit there and be like, wait, what did we miss? Um, yeah. Which, is, which was, is a fun, cool aspect, because now, like, where we thought we knew a lot, we don't necessarily have everything. There could be huge gaps of information that's really vitally important that we don't know right now. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure there are. I mean, I think that's... Is this a limited series? I don't... It might... I think it's not. I think that's an ongoing, right? I think so. I'm pretty sure. So I think it could really just keep expanding. Um, there, there's so much happening in that in that world. Um, and the other is like, uh, some of it. Uh, I haven't read all of it, but I did. I do read some of it. To I skip the the last couple of them. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, the ones that I've read were largely very good. Yeah, the early ones I thought were really, really good. I mean, it was all interesting. Like, it's not necessarily vital information, but it, it adds good knowledge of either other stuff they've written or history. And it's 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 a ni really nice to have. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't believe it's going to be in the trade, so it's a good reason to pick yeah. up the... Um, the individual issues. But I would tell people, though, that, like, I do think in some ways it is going to read better in trade. I, it, it does add, you know, it, every issue does end on, like, a, 
a bit of a what will happen next moment, although it's not as obsessively compulsively like that as some series I read are. But um, I think that I, I had read each issue monthly, and then I had stopped for a while, and I just marathoned the last few, and I've enjoyed mm-hmm. reading them that way, to be honest. I mean, yep. I, I think you could you could go for the trade approach on this. And I believe one is out in September, right? The second trade. Uh, I believe so, yeah. And, and Fatal was like that, too. Um, I think Fat- Fatal reads better as a trade than it does individual issues. And there's some series that are like that. Um, yeah, and it's not a knock on anything. It's just... Man, the current Sandman stuff is, is like so much in that way. If I hadn't already been committed to buying these individual issues, and God, do I love those covers, I would be just buying it in trade because it's just not really working on a single issue level. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I also feel like this is a comic... Guys, if you have friends that like film noir and don't read comics, and they're like, oh, I've always wanted to get into comics, don't buy them Watchmen. This has nothing to do with that. Buy them this comic. This comic, like, if somebody likes film noir, they will like this comic. I would be literally shocked if there was somebody who you would, who liked film noir and you gave them this comic and they didn't love it. It just captures it just captures it so freaking well. And no matter how much genre how genre wise somebody is, they're still not gonna be like, Oh, this is what happened or eh, this is predictable because it's not. And um yeah. So this this should be a good introductory comic for folks for sure. Mhm. Yeah. I completely agree with that. This is a good comic to give to folks who don't necessarily read comics but enjoy this this genre yeah. um yeah and i think that's a good transition of speaking of comics for folks who don't read comics discussing fight club 2 yes excellent um guys did you know that fight club 2 is a sequel to fight club the book and it's written by the <laughs> writer of the book gosh what a cool idea i actually don't think this has happened before um, Good question. Do you want to do, do the, the summary thing? Because you're awesome at it. So, so I don't even know if I can do the summary of this. Um, so the narrator of the original Fight Club, uh, played by Edward Norton in the film, uh, is going by the name of Sebastian. He's now married to Marla. They have a kid. Um, and uh, he's living a suburban life, is the best way of putting it. And then, just like in Fight Club fashion, things go off the rails. Uh, other than that, that's about as best as I can do is describing it because it seriously has just gone completely meta and I'm so like, what the fuck is going on? Um, but, uh, the, the thing that I really, really enjoy about the series is that, um, you know, it's a comic and I think great things of the, the visual of Fight Club, at least the movie is how it would intersperse images uh, throughout the movie and play with uh, the normal kind of like film narrative, um, that type of thing where they're having discussion about the burns of flipping over film um, and the burn happens and and uh, Brad Pitt points to it. Like that's just a really cool thing. And the comic does that sort of stuff all the time. When they're talking about pills, uh-huh. there are pills that are looking like they're on the page. Um, when he gets punched and a tooth get knock- gets knocked out, you see the tooth like roll over um, other panels to the point that it actually not just obscures art, it can obscure text. 
Um, so it really plays with the visual in a 3D sense that I think is freaking awesome, and I can't think of any other series that's done that. I agree. Cameron Storm's work here is just fantastic. Uh, yeah. He's just an amazing writer. Doing, a, I'm sorry, he is also an amazing writer. Uh, he's, you know, working on Batgirl. Uh, he's an amazing artist. He's just really doing a tour de force here. The physical brutality in the comic, when it needs to show it, like, it's the kind of brutality that makes your face hurt when you see it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the physical brutality is not cheap. Like, none of it is just cheap. It's never just, like, ha violence. It is always painful and bloody and unpleasant. And, like, and you also see, like, the devastation that people experience from that violence, you know? Like, when, Mar- when Marla is compelled to smack uh, Sebastian across the face with the top of the toilet seat. Like, you see how wrecked she is by that. And mm-hmm. you see how wrecked she's disgusting his face is. But you also see how wrecked she is by that violence. Um, I, 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 have you read the Fight Club book by any chance? Like, the original book? I have not. I'm not much of a prose reader because I'm a really slow reader, so I tend to stay away from them. Um, it's one that I've always wanted to read, but I never have. But I, I mean, I love the movie. I've watched the movie God knows how many times. Yeah, I really loved the movie too, and I did not see the book. It, um, the, the movie is, I mean, based on the movie, and it's, I mean, and it sounds like you know the writer was wasn't was and or is enthusiastic about the movie. It's not like one of those ones where they're like, nope. Um, the writer story where. When I later found out that the writer came out, I was like, oh, that makes everything perfect because it is such an exploration of masculinity and male-male relationships that is situated in the heterosexual male experience but is so queer under the surface that like, it totally has to be written by somebody who has lived socially as both a gay man and as a straight man. Um, like, irrespective of like, how he actually is inside, like somebody who like presented himself as a straight man publicly and who is now and who is also a gay man. Like that that's like that's who wrote the book. Like that experience, that life experience, that interpretation of the world is what made the story possible. So I was just like, ah, of course, and that's so perfect. Um but yeah, so much like the movie, I mean this this is definitely another story that's about masculinity and um about the damage that men and push upon each other because they're not socially capable of talking like people because of how our society expects them to behave. <laughs> um, there's great stuff about like looking for male mentorship and male like I guess yeah, male mentorship uh, in the most re- in, the, in the issue that hasn't come out yet. Um, right? It's coming out on Wednesday, issue four. Uh, um, next week, I believe. Dark Horse usually sends oh. us stuff two weeks ahead, so it should be next week, oh. I believe. Okay. Well, there's really great stuff on mentorship, and you will look forward to reading that. Um, so far, though, in the book, uh, you know, I really, the humor has landed well when it tries to be funny. It's funny. Um, it's not like ha-ha-ha-ha funny, but it's funny. Um, I, I love Marla here. She's great. Um, uh, I like that she's like if you thought she was messed up in the film she somehow gets even like more uh, offensive in this yeah 
Yeah, she she is. I think Cameron Stewart's art here, though, it's just like I can't emphasize enough how unique and excellent it is. I hope it gets nominated. Yeah, I mean, if this is if this series doesn't get nominated for art, I'm gonna my mind's gonna blow up because the the use of the visuals and the depth and all that, like I have never seen that done in another series. Yeah, it's so creative. Um. I think, like, I, I periodically would look up to see where the story took place. I didn't remember from the movie. I remember, I feel like I thought it was, like, in Providence or something. Greenfield is in Wilmington, Delaware, and there is definitely something of the sort of, like, city that's kind of falling apart, but not completely falling apart, that nobody really cares about thing happening in the setting. Um, the... The, um, yeah. the moment where you see the exteriors of the house, for example, they actually go back to the house from the, from the, from the book, the scenes on the bus. I feel like there's some good visual specificity in here, but I'm not quite prepared to appreciate having not been there, but I get the feeling like the artist really did his work and references for making this take place in a specific place. And that it taking place in this very sort of like humdrum city is important. Um, yeah, but the other thing, like, at least with the, the house that they go back to, you know, I feel like that, you know, obviously it references the film. So, you know, I don't know how much of that, at least that particular thing is the artist or them just referencing the film um, and going from there. It definitely feels like a real city and, and things that you would see. I mean, the, um, the when she goes to the support groups like this is the support groups that i've seen this is what is in there um it's this horrible room with in a circle and there's like a thing of coffee um not that i've been to one but when i walked by them this is exactly what i see uh, um the uh so there's it's like a lot of this that this and i keep coming at is like the series is such um uh the series is so visual on top of the narrative like it's it's amazing like there's the small little details that are put in there that enhance everything else that's going around is is fantastic like it really is a synergistic uh combination of writer and art totally and i know that they chose each other for the project obviously um how much do you love the burn mark on the inside of Sebastian's hand? Uh, I think it's it's solid. Like it's um, you know, it it plays a lot to the to the movie and the things that are going we're going on with that as far as marks. Like it, uh, there's something very appropriate. Everything is really appropriate. Like the the I don't want to yeah, spoil yeah. next week's issue, but. You know, a certain character comes back from the movie that we haven't seen, and I like until he showed up. I was like, "Oh, I didn't even think what happened to him." Um, but it's such a key uh -huh. thing that's so so awesome, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" I totally forgot. Like, of course he would come back and be involved, and it, yeah, it's such a I like I can't praise it enough. Even with the latest issue where it gets really meta on stuff, um, and I wasn't yeah. quite sure exactly was what was uh, going on. Not quite 
sure either. Oh, we'll have to talk about that after Um Oh, but so like, I guess for folks, if you folks remember, like the chemical burn that they give each other on the back of their hand sort of takes on a vaguely vulvar, vulvic, I guess, um, visual appearance. And he leaves issue one, I guess, after the explosion with the imprint of the uh, building doorknob, um, I guess the, the bedroom doorknob on his hand, which was one mm-hmm. of those like rose sort of shaped doorknobs. So when it, the burn mark leaves his inside of his hand, having something that looks kind of more like an anus. Um, so I think it's like this, uh, on the, in, on the, uh, in the beginning of the story, you know, when the story begins, like in, in book, in book one or whatever, you have this symbol that's like, this like feminine symbol. And then on the outside of the story, in the end of it, you have a, something that's associated with pooping, I guess, or the, the, the expression of things. So it's like you begin on the sex end, you end on the ass end of things. Um, well, how about we, when we start with the front and end with the back? Does that work too? Yes, start with the front and we end with the back. <laughs> I, think that that's, I think that's sort of what's happening. So, I, so when I, that was one of those moments when I saw it, I was like, oh, this comic is so smart. And I've even found a way to actually have that happen, right? Um, mm-hmm. I also really like the, uh, the, how think Tyler Durden and Sebastian are drawn in the comics. Another great comic that takes the award of I can take tell these characters apart from each other, yay, awards. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is one that I feel like when it's wrapped up, we have to just devote a show to it uh, to debate what the meaning was of the story. Yes, absolutely. Especially in like light of the the first, you know, the book and the movie um, of what this one's trying to say, because it's one I feel like we could debate for a really long time about. Because I was positive it was one thing uh, when it first started, and now up to issue four, like I think it's a totally different thing. So I, yeah, I've I've no idea. Like it's going to be one where I'm going to have to read it through the end to finally make that decision of being like, nope, this is what it's trying to say. Yeah, I think so. We'll have to come back and circle around on that. I really liked Emma's essay about issue one. Folks should go check that out on Rainbow Hub. Yes. Um, yes, yes. What else do we... Oh, Secret Six. Gosh. Yeah, we'll, we'll finish We'll finish up with uh, Secret Six. I'm having a hard time with Secret Six. I thought it was going back to the golden place. Um, it seems it was on the upswing, but I think that like the series is trying to bring back the glory that was the original Secret Six series, but it's not really contributing anything new to it. It's just sort of going back where we were, and the characters aren't there yet, unless you have all these associations with them already. You had read the original Secret Six series, right? Hmm. Oh yeah. Um, 
I think, you know, the, the Riddle Secret Six series was just one of the best comics of its time, by far. Um, and the new one is definitely readable. It's certainly not boring. There's totally things in it that will make you laugh. Certainly it's made me laugh. And I really had high hopes for this most recent issue. I thought it was going to be the one that finally brought back the magic. Um, there's some reveals in it that were quite interesting, but there also was a ton of shit that was just completely obvious. And... Um, I don't know how much faith I have that this is going to become anything worthwhile, you know? It I just think they're, just, they're just trying to repeat this beautiful success from the past and, then, and that it's not capturing that. Yeah, to me, it kind of feels like almost like a mainstreaming of the original series. Like, it doesn't quite have the soul of it. Like, it's going through the motions, and it's trying to repeat it, but isn't quite there. Like, just slightly off. Um, There's stuff that I like. Like, I... I think like the gender fluid character is really interesting and how they threw it out there was was cool um i the whole introduction of plastic man i think was interesting though very predictable elastic man elastic sorry elastic man um actually how is that predictable to you because i know ralph Sibney, i was completely like that doesn't sound like ralph Sibney. Did you did you see it coming or I mean I knew that it was like he wasn't who he said he was but I just didn't think it was Ralph Gibney. Yeah, the tip off to me is when he got punched and it just kind of like stayed there. That was the point where I was like, all right, it's definitely it's definitely Ralph. Huh? And what what issue like so in, in a previous issue or? Yeah, it, it might have been issue like two or three. Yeah, yeah, wow. it, would, it would have been like two or three, where I was like, "This is I probably him." No, well, it was one of those where I was like, "I'm pretty sure this is an established character redone somehow." Um, uh, one thing that I hate about it, I hate Catman's outfit. Oh yeah, I don't like the mask. Yeah, it just feels like a horrible Halloween costume. However, I do, like, in the most recent issue where he's wearing this t-shirt that has, like, this, like, little catch, scratch thing on him, I was like, is Catman now one of those characters where they're going to have t-shirt costumes of him? Like, the Punisher has a t-shirt costume, Superman has a t-shirt costume. Everybody's got a t-shirt costume these days. This is new, the new Catman t-shirt costume. Because I would totally get the new Catman t-shirt costume. If only some people would ask me if I had, in fact, been mauled by a lion. The answer is sadly no. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else. Like it's it's an interesting mix of folks. Um, it's just one of like I do. I think the other thing that bothered, that that got me is them fighting um, Savage and Dollman and or sorry Ragdoll. Thank you. And, and yeah, then, sorry. And then just walking away at the end. Yeah, and it's just like, it just reminded me of the previous series and how good that was. Yeah. I mean, 
if they're having two teams fight off and then decide to walk away is definitely something that Gail has done. But, and it's the kind of thing that is like weird because you don't quite know how to believe it, but it's never bothered me before. In the past, she's always made it work emotionally for me that those people would have stopped fighting and walked away. And in that last issue, not six, but the one before that five, I guess it was, when they, after the fight, and they just walk away, and they go back to tell, you know, Riddler, oh, like, this is what happened. I didn't buy it for a second that they would be allowed to just do that without there being held to pay. I thought that they would have to go on the run if they were breaking his orders, you know. I mean, it was believable to me that Scandal and crew would decide not to kill them and take them in. The scandal and crew frequently decide not to do that when they're paid to do work. They seem like a pretty poor team to hire, to be honest. They're not reliable in the slightest. But um, but the fact that after they did so, they didn't immediately go on the run. Like they went, they just went back to the Riddler, and I, I don't. And he's okay with it. He doesn't punish them for it. It's just weird. I didn't seem. It didn't make sense to me narratively. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally with you on that. That was another thing that kind of got me. It's just like, it's one of these where it just seems very off. I don't know what it is. Like, there's just all these small little things that are, are bothering me. Um, and they're kind of compounding and adding up together. Like, it's it's just not quite right. Like, I love the, the, the concept in the beginning of them in the box. I thought it was yeah. really, really interesting. A great concept, but then it wasn't done well. It was a great... They needed to stick to it for more than like two, one and a half issues if they were going to do it. Yep. Um, like to me, that should have been the first arc. That's them in the box. They should have been there in a box for days. And Gail would have done a great job with that. If anybody could have dealt, like just really nailed the, the neuroticness and like the torture and the angst of being in that box, Gail could have nailed it. I, I don't know if the editors told her, like, get them out of there. You know, if it wasn't sort of editorial mandate that made that get cut short, but it absolutely got cut short. And I really had thought that that was to happen first. Some interesting, interesting stuff to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to stick with it, and I'm going to read it, and um, and give it to at least the, the second arc to see what I really think. But it's just, it's like a pale imitation of what came before. Yeah, it is a, it is literally a pale limitation of what came before. Are you reading any of her um, uh, stuff for Dynamite? I've lost track, and I probably should be. Mm-mm. I'm not. Well, I mean, I'm just not a swords and sorcery fantasy person, so it didn't really, as a whole, it doesn't appeal to me. Mm, that's true. You're not really into that genre. That's my kind. Yeah. Of thing. So having Sonya as like key. Uh, you know, key character just does not really it, immediately I kind of just turned my brain off um, so it's not quite uh, not quite my thing um, I'm trying to think what else she's writing those are the ones that I know about she had a yeah. queen like a, a verdict. she's a vertigo series right now she has one has one coming Oh, maybe it's not out yet. I guess that would explain why I haven't seen it. Uh, that's a good 
we'll figure this out. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I have like as a whole, I'm not. I don't read tons of dynamites to begin with, so that uh, that add in the fact that it's Red Sonia, a little sword and sorcery stuff, like just not my thing. Um, she might. That's I don't, cool. Yeah, um, she might have something out for Vertigo that I'm missing, but can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, well, anyway, I mean, it's, but yep. that's probably why we're reading this. It's because we want her stuff, and that's where it is, you know. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is the, I think to me the closest of like classic Gail Simone as we're getting right now. Um, so I'll take what I can get. For now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. And I'm tr- and Lori, yeah, exactly. Lori up there, Lori Zeppelin, who plays Space, who's Black Alex up there along with Nico Minoru over in A Force as characters who are goth girls whose outfits are just completely wrong. Just so, so wrong. Um, <laughs> I actually spent the money for the, for the Kevin Wada variant cover that was on um, A Force 3 because it was a picture of all of my favorite female heroes except Jessica Drew and Photon, but everybody else sitting on the stoop of a Brooklyn brownstone and they're all wearing awesome and realistic clothing that they would actually wear in real life, um, including Nico, who was wearing what an actual goth girl would wear sitting in front of her house. Unfortunately, within the comic, we have Nico wearing a shirt that is neither fashionable, nor cute, nor goth, nor appropriate. Like, it just doesn't work at any level. Like, I don't know. Somebody just needs to have an intervention on that and be like, what is with this crop top combination, like, bustier thing that you're just wearing during the daytime and not to a club? Not, like, it's not even in fashion, and it's ugly, and it's not retro fashion, and it's not anything. There's so many things they can be putting her in, but it also seems that a character that Mr. Grimm from The Runaways would be wearing something, would have that much skin showing running around, to be honest. It just doesn't seem like it's her style, you know what I mean? Um, and we have uh, Lexi also wearing, like, a, in Congress, um, Lori Zeklin, just like Alice and Secret Six, also wearing an incongruous, not actually goth outfit. If people need to hire somebody to be their goth fashion choices consultant, I'm happy to be here for you or any kind of fashion business consultant. You need someone to explain how clothes work to you. I'm happy to come and be supportive. <laughs> Another great resource could be like looking at Tumblr or leaving your house. Leaving your house <laughs> and people outside is also a useful tool for helping to draw better clothing on people. <laughs> looking out windows is a first step at least. Engaging in the world around you. God, I feel so catty, but it just drives me crazy, especially with characters like those two who really deserve much better clothing. So, like, Alice's hair is bad, but I'm totally okay with that because that is the bad hair that has been established as being Lori's bad hair. Like, that's just how Lori wears her hair. Okay. But the outfit, the crop top thing, like, the Nobody was wearing crop tops until, like, this year, and now they're only wearing them incredibly wide. Like, each crop top is, like, the size of two different T-shirts, just horizontally as opposed to vertically. Nobody is wearing a skin-tight crop top out of their house during the daytime. That's just not, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. 
I gave mine up years ago. They need to, uh, yeah, for example, and so did Peter Parker, if you'll recall. He only wore that one one time in that pool party in the 80s one. Um, <laughs> but we have great we have great fashion in comics. We've got Catwoman and ba- and Black Canary and Batgirl all totally nailing it in the fashion game. And Ms. Marvel, yeah, totally Ms. Marvel as well. Great clothes, realistic clothes. Obviously, everything Jamie McKelvey does, because he is the master of amazing clothing. So... Yeah, we got we can get our clothes kicked elsewhere, I suppose. But it does. But it's but these two are bad enough that it actually is a problem. Like it's a distraction for me, and it makes me irritated. Yeah, I've never liked the design for either of those characters, so I'm I'm completely with you. No, but Nico's Nico's design in Runaways was good. Uh, then maybe I'm like maybe I started reading it later because I always remember her as like a horribly dressed goth girl. She had like a long black skirt and she had like with some ruffle stuff on it. It was like pretty on point. She had like a frock coat, I think. Like that was all like, yeah, people totally wore that. Maybe um, I'm mixing things up. I could be mixing up the clothes. You know, she's been in a lot of things. So yeah. it depends on the artist, I'm sure it makes a big difference. Um, but when I first read Encounter Her and Runaways, her clothes were all like, yep, wore that. Um, even if you do a quick Google search, actually, just looking up her name, most of the clothes I see her in looks pretty right on to me. Yeah. So this is a new problem. It's a shame, especially because A-Force is, like, really trying to do this, like, female-led title. But if anybody's going to know that your clothing is, that your female clothing characters are messed up, it's going to be female comic readers, right? So... If you're having a book that's especially for a female audience, you, then you particularly need to be aware of what you're putting your people in. You're reading A-Force, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, what do you think of the series? Um, It's interesting. Like, it's To me, the, the Secret Wars as a whole is a whole bunch of like really cool concepts. I like it. Um, I think I'm waiting to see what A-Force the ongoing is like. Yeah. Uh, more than anything else. Like, it's one of those, like, this seems to be a good bridge, and they're kind of throwing ideas down and getting stuff out there. Um, but really, I'm, like, reserving the real judgment for the main ongoing series. Yeah, I feel like the concept of, like, this female um, Arcadia that's, like, this, you know, paradise is a really neat one. And I think if we, if they, it deserved more time than it was given to have. Like, mm-hmm. more establishment setting needed to happen before the action took place, in my opinion. It all happened It's also quickly. very Wonder now, Woman. I, the, whole pace, the whole pace of this story, yeah, it is. The whole pace of the story is off. In ways, I do not blame the writers. This is an editorial edict problem. Uh, I, totally, I totally like and support the, the writer on this book. I think she's great. I think that the editorial edict on this compressed the story in ways that did not work to the story's advantage. I think that um, in the future, in the future, when it's its own series, I think it'll probably be awesome. Yeah, I'm also fascinated to see the ongoing of, are they going to keep the Arcadia thing going? Like, I don't see how they would, uh, because it doesn't really fit in a 616, or whatever you want to call it. Um, not really the 616, whatever the main Marvel Prime is going to be called. Um, 
but the the yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do with with the ongoing. Like, obviously, some things are going to have to change. Who they're going to have on the team? How you know what they're going to do to justify them sticking around? Um, it's all going to be, I think, it's going to be pretty fascinating. Um, and I think one of the more interesting things that I'm looking forward to for the new Marvel. Yeah, it's a cool concept, and obviously, I love the cast. So. Yes. Um, anything else to discuss or are we going to wrap it up? No, I think it's good. All right. Um, thanks for listening to another episode of Graphic Policy Radio. Um, for those who have made it this far uh, in the episode, you can join us for a brand new show that's going to debut uh, 10 p.m. Eastern on Sunday after Fear the Walking Dead. Um, we're going to call it uh, Fear the Walking Fanboys. URL has been bought. Uh, it's going to be uh, myself and a buddy of mine who are going to discuss um, Walking Dead and more particularly the Fear of the Walking Dead for at least the four or five episodes that are left. Um, and we're deciding on something very cool, hopefully for the final episode when it airs. So uh, that will go up on the site and you can catch it uh, Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern. But thanks for listening, and between now and then, you can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. Uh, if you want to take this episode on demand, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Um, we have links on their site where you can find all that and uh, get it directly. And this episode will be downloaded and uploaded to SoundCloud tomorrow, and Stitcher and YouTube, uh, iTunes should be pretty... Uh, pretty immediate in the next hour or so. Um, but thanks for listening. As always, uh, we will be back next week. I believe we will have a guest, uh, but we will confirm that guest before announcing it. Just want to make 100% sure. Um, but until then, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. Thanks for listening. Keep it geeky.